Hey everybody, my name's Kevin, and this is the panel that is titled Visual Branding, but I think as we unfold it, maybe we'll first try and figure out what visual branding is as opposed to branding in general and artist branding, but we have a number of experienced professionals uh, that have some expertise in this world that uh, we're going to dig into this with, so let's start with quick introductions, and I'll finish with myself and make Livia uh, down on the end start out. Damn, I wanted to sit here to be last. <laughs> I'm Livia Tortella. I'm the founder and CEO of Black Box, which is a modern music marketing company. Uh, I started it after my stint at major record labels, having a lot of fun really focusing on the artist brand in its totality. So that's what we concern ourselves with. All right, next up, Sean from Boombotics. I'm Sean Sullivan, and I'm the CEO of Boombotics, and we're a youth-focused consumer electronics brand. We're based here in the city, and we've really, over the last year, morphed into more of a consumer electronics bundled with content, and how do we work with artists type of a company, so I'll talk a little bit more about that today. Cool. And uh, Stu from Teespring. I'm Stu Smith. I come from Teespring. We are a, a social commerce platform that um, artists use to, to create and sell their, their merchandise based here in San Francisco. I'm based in LA. Um, and I come from, I mean, just because it's, I think, relevant, I uh, come from artist management. Uh, I worked for, for Red Light for a number of years. Um, and then between Red Light and, and Teespring, worked for Crowd Surge, which is now called Songkick, um, and, and led the artist partnerships there. Cool. So yeah, to that last point, we're sort of very aware that there's not an artist speaker up here, but so I think it is important that Stu spend time in that in that world as well. Sean, do you have a background in music as well too, or no background in music? Okay. No, none in consumer electronics. So, so that sounds like a fun job to to take on. Um, and Livia's also worked in in the in the music business in the record label world for many years. Um, for my part. I do a number of things. I promote music festivals on one hand, uh, run a business called Noise Pop and related things, including Do the Bay here in the Bay Area. But I also run a digital media company called Open Aura and have been in, in sort of the digital distribution and music technology world for quite a long time uh, with a company before this called IOTA. But Open Aura is, is relevant to this in a unique way and, and what we're doing is trying to, to build a platform that aggregates content and media, think images, social media, editorial content from any source around the web. Lots of that is which is locked up and owned by people, some of which is open, and we're looking to unlock and make all of that available for uh, entertainment platforms to have more content available to create better experiences. And from an artist's perspective, you could think about this as we're trying to collect and amass a bunch of content that an artist can control and then contribute to, to be pushed at their fans in all the places around the web where they might be consuming music or video or reading about them or buying tickets. So uh, it's sort of, a, I guess, a, a new tool and, and a branding platform in which an artist can put anything they want to. And that includes the stuff that they've already branded themselves with online as well as uh, anything else other content creators are, are putting together. So we're going to come back and think about this at a high level and uh, before we talk about specific use cases, I think, and, and look at what, you know, what it means to be an artist today uh, in the digital marketplace and landscape. I'd like to look from both of your guys' experience at least a little bit about how you think it's changed from in the past and what opportunities were uh, available then, but you know, what overall, when an, you know, I think everybody understands that every artist is a brand and that you, you must sort of treat your career in that way. 
what's the right way to do that in today's world? I think the best place to start, because right now I think what's different for an artist today versus the past is that there's so many choices, right? There's so many platforms, so many places where music can be experienced that a great way to start for an artist is really figuring out what their artist identity is, because I believe branding is just the business around an identity. Um, and it manifests itself either through merch or you know, through electronic products, you know, uh, whatever. So I think really deciding what kind of artist you are, like who's in your community, what influences you, you know, from a visual standpoint, musical, art, and really bring that all together and put that out in the world. I think having a very clearly defined identity is very key. Way to start. And what, do you think, um, today do you think that happens more organically and naturally for an artist or do you, it, it compared to in the past versus uh, more manufactured, contrived? I mean, how hard do you got to work at it? I don't think they think about it at all, to be honest. <laughs> you know, I, I see it all the time. You know, you see these, like so much potential from a commercial standpoint in a particular, I'm just talking about merch sales yeah, yes. and with yeah. a brand and yet you go, God, these guys like have mismanaged this thing or they cannot sort of do the basic blocking and tackling. Like, yeah. you know, copyrights, trademarks, what do your marks look like? Are your marks still relevant? And I always look at it as, you know, everything is additive that you do as a brand. So without, you know, the foundation that you're talking about, you see people kind of do these, you know, they'll head off to left field for no reason rather than, you know, continuing to, to be focused and build upon what they have. But what's yeah. what's left field in this case? I mean, like I'm here, I think it's interesting some of the, you know, that, that thought of like, you know, setting up all your foundation and registering your copyrights and stuff like that, is that? Yeah. Is that instinctual or is that calculated? Or is it important in this branding yeah. sense? In, I, in think way? It's, I, I think it's, it's something that we could talk about here a lot, right? Metadata, mm -hmm. do your job, fill your stuff out. What I think in a lot of ways is just counter to, it's counter to who a lot of artists actually, the way their brain works, right? Because they're artists. And so they are not thinking about those things. And you know, one of our first was with the Wu-Tang Clan. So then you've got like 12 guys, right, who are, you know, pretty crazy guys, and it's like trying to just get approvals through th through that crew is is not easy. Yeah. You know, content ownership. You know, just basic business blocking and tackling from the perspective of someone who wants to take their brand and monetize it through. And we work through major retail, so people like Zoomies in the mall, T-Mobile, uh, Verizon stores. You know, they're it's they're big deals. They're not kind of one and dones. It's frustrating, I know, for us when we run into those roadblocks. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I'm, it's not a branding question as much as it is a blocking and tackling question. But mm -hmm. I think, you know, I, I think about like the service you provide to me sounds crazy valuable if I'm an artist because I don't want to. I don't think that way. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, what the, it, it, it's humorous to me, like when you're talking about left field, sort of that veer off and it's like, well, what is the first thing an artist does when they start to set up and be like, okay, I'm gonna be serious now. It's like, it's not, well, you make songs presumably, um, which is like, maybe that's an important question. Like is, is the brand of that music and that impression more important uh, than, than the visual part? Like wh where do you start here? On one hand, maybe it's like the right thing to do these days is like, okay, I'm gonna start an Instagram account first and I'm gonna yeah. like go there. Maybe it's SoundCloud. What, what's, what's most important from that? Like I'm gonna establish myself I mean, branding opportunity standpoint. I sort of feel feel like it all goes back to like, who are you as an artist and what do you stand for, and then you, like that's kind of the foundation you have to start with, 
And, and I actually see... Do you see that fully formed from artists that would come to you? Either in oh, Teespring yeah. now versus as management? So. I mean, I think some are, you know, the great thing is like any artist can, you know, so I, I could start a, a, you know, I could become a DJ tomorrow on my laptop, it'd be awful, but, and, and I could like come to Teespring and like create merchandise. And so I would be like, you know, that wouldn't be fully formed versus, you know, Beyonce, who is very, you know, careful with the brand. It's like very much a one way conversation and, and you know, and, and every element of who she is, uh, is you know I think probably comes back to that foundation of you know what am what am I as an artist and then what and what do I stand for and probably the next thing is creating the music because that's ultimately that's really all you know none of the rest of it exists without without that um, and then I feel like I mean to your point like I do see some of the the frustrations and you know like we're working with with the NFL. Uh, and and you know other sports leagues, and it's very different than working in in music. And there are more uh, hurdles and and challenges. Um, but I think in some ways that goes back to like who is the artist and what do they stand for. And it's not necessarily you know what makes business sense first. Sometimes it's like what mm. what makes sense going back to the to you know to who I am and what I stand for versus. I could, if I'm Wu-Tang, I could, you know, th there's probably a lot of money left on the table, I, I imagine, um, but I think it's great if the approvals are hard. I mean, if it's hard just because, like, someone's not answering their emails and that's a different, a different story, but if yeah. it's, like, I don't know if this thing that I'm putting my, you know, logo on, my stamp of approval on uh, represents me as an artist, then I kind of think that's a, a good thing versus brand you know brand brands that are just willing to put their logo on anything that will sell um and i don't th i don't think that's what you're arguing but but um it is interesting because there are there is money left on the table um and i actually think in some ways that that can be a, a good thing mm -hmm. yeah well so uh, clearly there's a lot of different avenues here right and not there's no one approach that's going to fit for for every artist large well-established artist with large fan bases, just like they can do away with their label at some point uh, and, and operate without that infrastructure, potentially they can uh, have a lot more opportunities to work, with, uh, to work with brands. And I think it depends on their audience and what they'll accept, right? But with some, some artists that are perhaps more emerging and independent, I'm interested, Livia, you work with, uh, let's, let's say like a number of artists, certainly Death Cab among them that are not, say, heavy brand associated type artists, right? You aren't gonna see them in like a Jay-Z, Samsung, Beyonce, Pepsi type deal. Um, how, do, how, do, how do they think about, and similar artists, I think you work with a number that, that, that might be in similar sort of yeah. uh, sets, like how do they think about their brand as it relates to those opportunities and, and you know, impact on fans, et cetera? Yeah, I think uh, with an artist like a Death Cab for Cutie, it really starts with authenticity it has to feel authentic to them. And like for most artists, I would say brands and commerce, it's uncomfortable. You know what I mean? Like do you ha you'll have artists like Drake who have this very organic kind of their masters of so many media, you know, their social media, all of their conversations, they're total, they have total control over it. And then you have artists who are a lot more pure and, and really see the church and state, right, aspect of commerce and art. But I argue is is uh, branding is just kind of a reflection of your own truth. I mean, and a lot of what you need to do is is 
really figure out, okay, what's an authentic expression of myself? Do I use, is that an experience I use? And Death Cab are very much like that. If it's authentic to them, they'll want to engage with that brand, if we're talking brands. If it's like a visual artist that feels, represents the experience of their album, they'll be more open. I actually think every artist has it in them to know their brand really well. It's all about like, do they have some kind of mental block to how it gets executed? I mean, it's almost like therapy, <laughs> really getting at the core of it sometimes. But I mean, most naturally, it's just yeah. stuff that they probably use or like yeah. or wear on they a endorse. regular basis anytime, yeah. right? So, yeah. yeah, but that's the brand partnership side. And then there's just the branding, and knowing so who you are, and they're two different things. From the brand perspective, um, I mean, I don't know, it sounds like on one hand, you've had some really unique and organic stuff happen, Sean, but like how, how hard is it to find that fit and, and make those things align, right? Obviously, you want to find somebody who's cool and thinks you have a cool product, for starters. But your desires versus theirs in that relationship, what's, what's important? You know, the ones that work are when, they're, when that's aligned. If, the, if, if it's not and it's just an exchange of money, I think people kind of smell that out as BS anyway. And I think to your point, you know, the best brands are people because people have soul, right? And that's like the best brand. We're all consumers of so much marketing now. I mean, we're just marketed to constantly. I think everyone's radar is pretty good on smelling out the stuff that's real and the stuff that isn't, which is awesome, right? Because yep. of social media now and, and the different ways you can interact with people, you can get, a, I think, a really good sense of that. And it's great for artists because it's just a level playing field if their message is, if it resonates. And so to that level playing field point, right? Um, I think typically when, you know, on one hand, every artist has a brand and they need to maintain that and think about it. On the other hand, when it comes to like brands and artists, that's something that does not apply to every artist. It's generally just top of curve or at least some other other avenue there. Are there, you know, I, I guess I'm, I'm curious in both cases sort of how far down that curve uh, everybody looks, whether, I mean, I think on one hand, maybe, and you can speak to this for Teespring, anybody can, can engage. It's sort of totally democratic. But with those other premier partnerships, the ones that are going to drive income and stuff, that's, that's harder to get to. Um, what works for those more emerging artists? Well, I think, I mean, if we're talking, are we talking revenue when you're an emerging or developing well, artist? Well, there's value in both things, right? That's yeah. another sort of core. Yeah like conflict in the discussion it's like who's mm -hmm. benefiting who here like mm -hmm. uh, you know should i be should i be paid compensated for the value my brand brings to yours or vice versa yeah well i think like the way we look at emerging artists it's really about developing that audience first before being too aggressive on revenue and other partnerships it has to serve the brand i think always mm -hmm. I think pretty much whether you're emerging or an established artist, it has to serve the brand. It has to make sense. Like I think whether you love Taylor Swift or not, she makes really smart brand decisions for her and her audience, and she really knows what that is. So I think you can see it in every in every stage, you know. Um, so I'm not sure I answered the question. Did I? Yeah, close enough, partially. I think. Okay. So, yeah. you know, from, I think from we, Sean, like, what do you guys want? We kind of look, I always look at it, it's kind of a sports analogy, but we look at it like yeah. the farm system, right? We've got yeah. the Rizzas and the Wu Tangs and the Wiz Khalifas, and then we've yeah. also got the IM Sus, because those are going to be the, that's going to be like the next group, right? And you want to, you want to start, because we like to be, you know, pretty deep in with the artists, we need to align with them 
when he's at that stage in his career. And then it's a lot more meaningful. I think the message is a lot more meaningful later on if he's the next guy. So what does a path look like as, you know, for you guys saying, I wanna, we, you know, we think these 10 artists or whatever are, are people we wanna focus on building relationships with. What do you start with? And then how do you get up to being RZA? We do a, we do a lot of uh, activation events. And so we had one in Los Angeles a couple weeks ago. And so RZA was kind of the headliner with, uh, he was doing a, a joint album with, um, it was called They Chosen. But so I Am Sue's like one of the acts, right? So that's the first entry in is he'll show up at a few of our different activations. We're doing another one in New York. Um, this week that he'll be at, and and then we'll kind of be there. He'll be he'll start to work into our social. So the way we look at social also is that you know you have your big splash and your big artist stuff, but in between you really need to fill it in. And we think that's an important part of our brand message is that we do support sort of that next layer of artists sort of on the upswing in their career. Because again, it's like that's. Yeah, not philanthropic, but it's like that's a cool thing for a brand to do, right? I mm -hmm. mean, that's, mm -hmm. and I think that's important in the music business that you're doing those things, and I, and people definitely notice it. Our consumers notice it with us, you know. And so, artists often miss that step. I think you know what I mean. They're too eager for that revenue opportunity that they don't think about, you know, showing up and playing a show with a brand that fits within their whole, you know. Yeah, their own ecosystem. They kind of throw that away. Well, so at the beginning, you'll have parties, promote yeah. bands you like. Of course, you're going to book yeah. the things that you want to share with the rest of the world. Is there, uh, I don't know, I'd say, are there uh, a strings attached for that or next steps? Meaning, do you expect the bands to, this is all pretty normal stuff, I think, to promote socially, mutually? Do you guys formalize yeah. that or any? Like, yeah, what? I wouldn't say we formalize it. I mean, again, it's kind of, it's, you know, it's the music business, so it feels like nothing's formal, but they, uh, <laughs> I'm used to really long contracts, but no, I mean, like, I mean, with getting a band to tweet about stuff is not easy a lot of times. Like, yeah, well, mm -hmm. I mean, so. we a lot of times what we'll do. So I am Sue's a great it example. The brand, right? So he's local, local kid from Richmond. You know, essentially managed by his mom. Got the momager, and they're fantastic, <laughs> super nice, great kid. Zero social media going on. Like, what's your plan? Don't have one, pretty yeah. much, right? So you know, we work with a, a good agency in the city, and I think one of the things we provide is we say, hey, listen, let us plug in. Let us help you to create content. So if mom's taking pictures or your road guys are taking pictures on tour, get that stuff to us. We'll repurpose it, package it in a way that you can then, we'll push it out, you can push it out. And I think being able to find, I mean, it doesn't really, you know, there's an extra cost to us to really do those types of things. And yet, you know, at the point he's at in his career, he just doesn't have the resources to be sort of mining that content and really creating the packaged way that it needs to be distributed. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, how much, you know, how many artists are sort of organized and ready on that, from that standpoint? Do they think about like, okay, I need to be creating content that I need to publish on a regular schedule? And um, I think they just, you know, they're thinking about music and they're thinking about filling up the venues and getting to the shows and sort of moving things along. Yeah. So, you know, I think the question I would have is like, is Taylor Swift Taylor Swift because of her music or is she Taylor Swift because of the way she's managed her business? Do you think I there's some artists both. that are who they are because of the way that they've probably managed their social as opposed to or I think more music, due to music? I think it's always about the music. I really yeah, do. I agree. As, and I'm a marketing person. I hope so. But I'll always say it's about the music. <laughs> Sometimes I'm not so sure about it. <laughs> no, but it is. But I think in terms of managing the business around it and making smart choices, you can have a bigger business by having a better relationship with your fans and knowing who you are, yeah. for sure. And some artists are really good at it, and some of them are really terrible at it. And it's, it's about getting them up to speed and ready for opportunities like that. 
How yeah, cool, I feel like how cool is oh sorry to interrupt. No, you but how cool is like the world today, right? I mean, you can engage mm-hmm. with people from your phone. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. it's just I think it's like amazing that you know, and I think these artists, the smart ones, they understand how to work that engagement to just keep driving up their social following, and that's where the power is, mm-hmm. right? When you sit in meetings with like Verizon executives, first thing you want to know is like, okay, show me the guy's stats, right? What are, what's his Instagram following? What's he got? That's how they, that's their initial way of judging these things. So I'm interested from a brand standpoint, like, you know, everybody, I think the things you just said are, are pretty much self-evident these days. You know, you, you need to publish via these channels. Maybe there's just three real big ones that matter here and, and uh, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter now, but I'm you know, interested in what you guys think about uh, those channels, ways to reach fans. Um, what's important from that from that brand and marketing standpoint? Uh, I, yeah, I do think it's it's yeah, it is super interesting. Of course, we have way more power to to touch all of these people directly. Although I do think that that's changing as well and getting less easy directly and and reliably and quantifiably to do in many cases. And so there's that's breaking down in some cases. I mean, I, I guess what I'm asking is what it, what do you think are the most effective tools now for making that impact from a brand and artist perspective, and do you see other new opportunities? I, to me, it's kind of like, and what goes to this, you know, the especially younger artists. I'm, ho- I'm guessing there's artists in the room, so hopefully we'll we'll hear from artists um, now or any time. Yeah, everyone jump in. When it, but um, <laughs> I think it's, you know, for a lot of artists, it's just it's just part of their life anyway. Social media is, and so it's kind of you know, it's not like a task that they have to do. It's just like what what they sort of hmm. do anyway, and and I think. In some ways, the channel, it's like, where are they most comfortable? Like, if you don't want to create video or photo content that you're probably not going to be on Snapchat. Um, but if you do, then, like, maybe that's the play. And then also, like, where is your audience? So if your audience is all, like, 70 plus, then you're probably not, not necessarily going to find them on Snapchat, but maybe you would. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so to me, it's kind of like those. And I, I mean, I haven't managed artists directly in in probably four years, I guess. Um, and it's changed so much since then. And I think it's just like continually evolving, but I think the concept is still the same. It's, uh, you're an artist, you have a story to tell, you want to engage in a two way conversation with the people who find your music meaningful. Um, and it, and like maybe the, the forum for that changes or it looks a little different or it evolves over time, but, but ultimately it's, you know, how can you have more of those conversations? How can how can you uh, let your fans into um, you know what what your day to day life is or not or like create that mystery that is uh, you know is intriguing? I think about a lot of artists. You know, I, on social, I used to think it was the content that drove the engagement and drove the increase in engagement, but really. It, what we've seen is it's you know this influencer strategy that we've started this year it's like it's just so different because your reach becomes so amplified so if you have a great up-and-coming artist somebody who's young and they're trying to sort of get some visibility in the world you really have to stand on someone else's shoulders it makes a big difference and in being able to boost your following and we've just seen that over and over again in the last 12 months with these young guys it's like we get them in front of the right people the right 
influencers on YouTube or on Instagram, and it just goes, it just exponentially increases. So in a, sa in a sense, it's like a bunch of cross-branding and audience trades mm -hmm. that you're talking about. Is well, if you, yeah, if you get in front right, of so. a million people, you're going to get a lot more engagement than if you get in front of a thousand people. <laughs> and right? I, I mean, it's kind of the simplistic way of looking at it, but yeah. it's really true. And, and it's such, I always view it as kind of gaming the system, but I mean, that is the system, right? So, mm -hmm. but, you know, but I think there's also ways that it's like, it doesn't feel like that, like but like when Taylor Swift makes a you know writes a list of ten artists and songs she's listening to and tweets a photo of that, like that's real, I, be mm -hmm. I believe, mm -hmm. um, and yet it also gives those artists more you know people are literally finding them on Twitter or on whatever you know whatever channel, and so it gives them exposure, but it comes from a real place uh, versus others that are maybe not you know not not as as organic, and I think that's more yeah. power. Like I, I think people see through that. I mean, you. I, I completely agree. I mean, what Stu said earlier about things feeling real. Um, I, I do think like when artists choose a platform that they feel personally kind of represents them. I think it comes across in the content. Like with one of the artists that we were working with, Andrew Day, who signed to Warner Brothers, she started at zero followers, but Instagram was really her mode mm -hmm. of expressing herself. So we saved that for her content, her communication with her fans, and we use Twitter and Facebook for more official like announcements. So we make that a pure place. And then the cosigns that you were talking about, that's that's been really critical to her. And it happened in a very authentic way when people like Leon Bridges were checking checking her out and saying how wonderful she is. And that cross-marking starts to amplify, yeah. but there's nothing like it being real and authentic. And that's what I think fans respond to. And so for Stu, I'm interested for for your business in Teespring. Mm -hmm. Are there, you know, it's, maybe you could explain a little bit about it as, you know, as opposed to being self-serve and open for any artist to come in, but how do you, how do you guys push on that artist and music community from that co-branding standpoint? Um, yeah, I mean, there's interesting stuff we're starting to do around, around co-branding. Um, I guess, so tell, wait, so you're asking about sort of the self-serve nature of it or, no, or more about... Well, I don't know if everybody understands or knows yeah, yeah, yeah. the so, platform, but... Yeah, totally. It's a little bit um, different than the types of artist relationships that... Yeah, it's very different. Yeah, uh, where it, it is open, it's not, um, you know, we're not, we're not signing a deal with an artist. We're not, you know, it's not like a, it, it's not really co-branding. It's really about uh, an artist wanting to create products and, and sell them, and, you know, leverage the... Uh, the, the social channels that they've developed and 80% um, of the purchases on Teespring come from social media. Um, and we also kind of move at the speed of social media. Like if uh, I, we talked about the tomatoes example, yep. this, we're not in Nashville, so this maybe doesn't resonate, but um, uh, there was a radio programmer who said something about how women in country music are the tomatoes and men are the lettuce. Uh, awful like you know kind of and there and there was more more to it but um immediately martina mcbride reached out to us and was like hey i want to you know we want to be proud to be tomatoes like <laughs> so i want to create this shirt and and so she did and and launched on teespring um and the great thing about our model is we sell products first and then we make them so it's a zero inventory model you never have too much you never have too little that's kind of where uh the company started originally, um, and what uh, we came out of Y Combinator, what Paul Graham likes to say about Teespring is that um, we're not selling t-shirts, we're selling affinity, or we're selling passion. Um, and so I think the successful uh, 
stories on, on Teespring where, like just last week, I also mentioned that Martin Garrix um, in, in a 72-hour Teespring campaign sold 4,922 shirts. Um, and I think you know that went back to like there was a reason that he designed the shirt that he designed, and the reason that he was selling it at the time, and you know there was sort of a bit a, bit of a, a narrative there, um, and that's available to any you know like I said, if I became an EDM artist tomorrow and on my laptop and wanted to create shirts, I could go on Teespring. Uh, the minimum order is one, so it's like really you know low barrier to entry and and kind of no cost in that way. Um, but I do think it goes back to this is, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're asking your audience to open up their wallet. Um, they have to feel like what they're getting in return is, is valuable uh, and, and that it is a representation of, of, you know, who they are. I mean, we were, I, I was in Nashville last week, so it's kind of, you know, top of mind. But um, I think a, a good example is uh, if you, and, and co-brand opportunities around like working, you know, artist plus NFL, things like that. So there are things that can happen like that on, on Teespring's platform. But um, if you order a piece of merchandise from the Green Bay Packers, um, the return address says Lambeau Field. It's probably not where it's actually <laughs> being shipped from, but there's something too. And I think we, you know, those of us in music, it's like we go to so many shows, but the average person goes to one or less concerts a year. Same thing in sports. And so uh, you know, having a physical product that's a representation of that, even if you can't go to the physical event. Um, you know, most Packers fans, can't, you can't afford, it's expensive to go to NFL games. Yeah. So, uh, you know, so I think it, it goes back to that, like a representation of sort of who you are as an artist. Cool. And so, and in a way though, it strikes me that your, your platform and product, I guess, really is just sort of a, it's sort of like a content for the artist to then go back out and, and on one hand, you know, promote and engage with fans, but also then potentially monetize. So it's otherwise the currency is what images or and, that, and that's I think that's how sharing, yeah right? so. that's, how, that's how artists see it. And I think ultimately what matters most, you know, the music matters most, but then then the the next thing that matters most is is fans. Um, and there's not enough talk I feel like in this industry about about sort of you know fans and adding real value. And it's not just about like squeezing every every dollar, but but um, hmm. I think that's true. But yeah, but if you yeah, can agreed. take that extra step of like a tweet, um, and, you know, and we're integrated with the, the, the Twitter buy buttons, so you can literally like, you know, a tweet all of a sudden, you know, comes out of the internet as a, as a physical thing, as a, as a t-shirt or a hoodie or, you know, some other product. So yeah, it is taking content uh, maybe into the physical world a little bit um, and, and adding that, that commerce layer, but not just commerce for the sake of commerce. Yeah, in a sense and how, I tend to think about it from open or's perspective, right? It's it's just a constant stream of things, and it's going to be new releases or music or tour dates or um, new releases of shirts or products or just images or whatever experiences you might be selling through another platform like Bandpage or Bandcamp or Patreon or something, right? There's this big flow of things, and the uh, combined all of that is sort of that image of who the artist is, you yeah. want to get in front of fans, so. See, that's why I believe that artist managers are in the best position to really brand an mm. artist because of everything you just said. They're the only ones that can control or help amplify things like, you know, tour dates and how it relates to merch. And, you know, from the record label side, it just kind of begins and ends with the music and then there's a lull. But, you know, I think artist managers are branders today. 
Agreed. Yeah. So um, I want to move into questions. And something I said I was going to do and then never did was uh, survey and see how much of the audience is made <laughs> up of like artist versus industry and stuff. Uh, I still sort of want to know, so I'll ask anyway. Like, how much of uh, is an artist or a musician out there? And then what about like from the industry marketer label side of stuff? Anybody in live business? Other tech? All right, that's good. So yeah, questions from you guys or anybody else? Go for it. <laughs> sorry, hi. Uh, so I wanted to ask uh, to all of you actually, in terms of the products that are created around the artists' brands to monetize the music now when the records themselves are selling less and less, uh, how much of the how much of innovation do you see happening in the next couple of years? How much of kind of radically new products we might see out there as opposed to just keep on selling live tours, keep on selling t-shirts, keep on selling stuff. Kind of. Do you see that kind of disrupting and, I don't know, having like virtual reality concerts versus gamified video clips or whatever? Or, or do you see that kind of staying as it is and um, just finding better ways to engage the audiences? Thank you. Uh, it's already starting. You know, I think um, with streaming, only the biggest hit artists really benefit from, from that. So there's a whole, the other 99.9% and every single one of those artists are gonna monetize their brand very differently. So I see the innovation right here, like uh, samples of it right here, in terms of how artists can really benefit from it. So it's gonna get really exciting. So it's gonna change, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I th like I think what Sean's doing is yeah. so like such a perfect example of that, of like we live in this digital world, but this is like an analog product. Or, I mean, it's it's mm -hmm. technology, but I don't know. I, I'd love what, to hear more. Well, we, and, I don't, and I wouldn't say we have it figured out yet, but what we found was that, you know, the, the sort of downward spiral of people willing to pay for content, when you give them a physical thing, suddenly they're willing to pay a lot for content because they get this, you know, in our case, it was a little Bluetooth speaker, but you sort of got your Wu-Tang Bluetooth speaker with your album, and that made it really palatable for people. And so I think there's... Again, we haven't got it figured out, but there's definitely something there where, you know, if you can put that content together with something else, it's very saleable. Yeah, I think that that's a very great example, and I think there's another obvious, like the the biggest uh, example overall around you know the concept of scarcity in our world is something that is becoming super valuable and and just flipped. And why? It's because of ubiquity, and we are there. Like everything out there is available for free, and so those things that which you can own and others people can't, therefore go up in value, which is a really interesting thing. Just like the actual art world, which is something that that uh, that Wu tried to take on and and you know and did right by releasing this one object of, of art that was then sold. So I think those types of things are are interesting, but like I don't know that just like the Radiohead experiment or, or the Beyonce album drop, they can't be replicated at scale across the industry, so it'll be interesting to see where, where things go. There, um, I do think there'll be a lot of new artist products. I think that certainly VR and, and from a live experience and, and my business there, there's already a lot of talk about that. How do you do this at concerts? What type of experiences? Does a fan want? How would an artist benefit? Like lots of things we don't know there. What what will happen is that some artists are, I think, guaranteed to benefit from from uh, some of these new innovations as they, they come out. Um, and 
what's harder, I think, in most cases is to make it benefit for a large class of artists and, and have something that sort of scales out beyond that. Um, I think one of the unfortunate things sometimes in these relationships, especially even for a tech company, when you want to align with an artist is, is that if yours is, um, you know, your product or, or uh, app might be very unique and iconic, but it then becomes part of one artist's identity and what they're known about, and so you mm -hmm. can't replicate that. How many auto-tune apps are there out there for? I think there's just one still, right? So right. you can't, you know, you can't take those models and replicate them infinitely either. Right, but I think what you can do is, is the innovation is also happening around how we market. I think that's also interesting. Like, you know, we just did a partnership with uh, Bandpage and Fanjoy, and it's how, how they use personalized dynamic marketing to maybe it doesn't scale to 10 million pieces, mm -hmm. but if, depending on the level of fan you have, and Stu said it earlier, fans, you know, are, come in all shapes and sizes and want different things. So I think the real innovation is coming on how we market to them, you know, as individuals. And I think that's the exciting part of the next five years. Uh, you know, one other point around that, yeah. I think the same thing is true, and you're starting to see this happen through a lot of music services. It's like, think of an app if anybody is also a sports fan. I'm a relatively new one, like, haven't been that person all my life, but like, TeamStream and these other apps are like, they're pinging you so many times a day. And I'm surprised at how often I will actually follow one of those bites and leads. And think of a music service that touches you in that way. Well, you don't have, the, the, the events are out there in the world happening between artists and fans that I think fans will want to know about, but nobody is connecting all of those dots in the right way um, outside of those networks themselves, so. Yeah, I think it's, I agree with that a lot. It's, you know, we're selling this T-shirt. T-shirt's been same thing for, you know, many years, but like, are there different ways? And I think, you know, we talk about like, on Teespring, there's the ability for a T-shirt to go viral and that hasn't really, existed before but like fallout boy did this thing for 24 hours and they put this your stuff is so elevated ours is like <laughs> emojis and stuff but um <laughs> but but pete went the fallout boy they did an emoji version of their album cover and they released it for 24 hours and that was it they tweeted like an hour before we got exciting news coming in an hour and so everything on teespring there's a countdown timer and it shows how many units are sold but uh once it's gone, you know, it's, it's sort of gone. So there is that like scarcity, um, you know, it's a different way of selling the same product. Yeah, scarcity is definitely being deployed in a lot of innovative ways. I mean, it's inherent to any Kickstarter, any GoGo mm -hmm. campaign too, right? So are there other things that are similar? I think that's really interesting. I don't know, Livia, that you've seen. Um, you mean like, like Teespring in terms of how Or timed or limited offers, those, um, I, is there, there's another company, I think, um, I'm going to forget the name of this, um, and therefore give a really bad example, but somebody who makes for artists uh, like limited edition items mm -hmm. that are just pressed and, and perhaps they're brand associated, but it's a sort of a birch box model or something, is that? Yeah, look, Fan, fan Joy do it, that are sort of fan mm -hmm. boxes, and they're limited to, I mean, I think everyone has... And somebody producing the stuff that goes in those boxes too, or they pull that together? It's curated so. by the artist. Yeah, and that's, it's a great experience. Cool. Mm -hmm. Anybody else in back? <laughs> Sorry, I picked you instead of the closer one. Cool. So let's say that I'm an artist, and I think that what really fits into my branding is partnering with an organic energy drink, like let's say Highball. 
and I don't know if I have any leads there. I might have some second degree leads. How would I link up with a company like that? What are some good strategies to do that? Um, to do a partnership? I think uh, start um, using your Instagram or your socials, like you engaging with the product and kind of, you know, letting them know. And like, they're very perceptive. Like brands really wanna see artists and people in the community engaging with their brands. I think if you start repping it, I think that's a Just very give them a good little place taste to first. start. Yep. They really respond to that. And then take it away. And if they like you, <laughs> right. Exactly. And, and make a t-shirt. Then you charge them. <laughs> Drive traffic and then remove it, yeah. basically. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, brands are, are getting more and more like they want real fans of their products. Like they want the same thing that musicians want. It's, and they, they look at their brand in that way. So if you show that to them, it's, it works. Cool. Um, well, there was one over here, but now he's gone. Okay. Hi, I'm Ariella, part of the band Golda. I'm also a musician. And my question's actually kind of similar, but it's more when you want to meet people in the industry. So let's say I'm kind of a lower level musician. I want to meet you know, a specific, like let's say Justin Vernon, um, Bon Iver um, producer. I want to work with him. So how would I kind of reach out to someone like that if they don't respond and they're so far away from maybe their social media or something like that? What is the best way to contact kind of those big guys that seem so distant and not contactable? Yeah, for the ones that aren't on social media so much, um, I actually think maybe like showing up at a show, but I think most, I, I think what works is really like approaching their management with a letter, like, and just context is everything, you know? If you're really impassioned, you know, um, and you send something very personal to the managers, I think that's probably the best step. I don't know what you guys think, but especially for someone who isn't really approachable on social media. On social media, it's, it's kind of easy to show real, you know, authenticity there as well. But, but even, what, what about breaking, for somebody who is social, breaking through that wall to actually get them to engage outside of that is that difficult or I'd say it's difficult yeah 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 I mean I don't I guess I I don't know how much I have to add I feel like it's gonna be really a matter of the artists themselves and and um, your presentation to them and it's oh, I have an just idea. the same Sorry. sort of crapshoot though right I have an so. idea. Um, you can always cover their music on YouTube yeah that's a great idea. and um, artists really pay attention to that in SoundCloud and and some of the really good covers get you know get responded to. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if anyone the woman in South Korea that covered the Adele, the Adele song. song. Yeah, yeah, I mean I'm sure Adele has seen that at this point, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> yep. True. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, it's those are like the super modern analogs of like send them a really nice envelope with the package and a homemade <laughs> cassette tape cover that you painted yourself, but like you know show them your vision in the best way possible. <laughs> Anybody else? No, it's going to be quiet. All right. <laughs> now a bunch. Microphone's coming. Uh, Livia, could you tell me more about Fanjoy? Um, I just saw that on Pentatonic's website, and uh -huh. I manage an artist, um, this artist. Um, <laughs> and uh, I was really interested in it. I didn't have a lot of time to dive into it, because I didn't see an independent artist tab. I messaged them. Uh -huh. They said they were interested. 
um, in talking. So could you tell me if you used it yourself? Well, we um, recommend it to some of our artist clients. And um, what we like about them, and this is a, an idea that we're working on with Jason Mraz, is that they do all the marketing, very much like you know Stu does with Teespring, around an offering. And the offering is usually um, a curated box of the artist's favorite things, and it gets sold directly to to, to fans. The artist picks them, they don't create them. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I would think that in some instances they probably had some, I, I'm not sure. I, I would imagine if the artist does make other things or has branded merch that it could be included in that box, but it's a curated box. And um, you could, you know, an artist with a base can make a lot of money doing it. So is there, so they're they're creating products to serve your fan base. What uh, what platforms do artists use to manage those relationships these days? We talked a little bit about this before. I think when the, yeah. the concept of like the you know you could have your own social network or there was Backplane or um, Ning that sort of had mm -hmm. similar offerings. There is there anything new in that front that you uh, that you use or any of your clients do? Hmm. Um. I can't think of anything offhand. We really focused on our artist socials, you know. Um, is like a yeah. social following a fan club these days? I mean, there is stuff like, is it Vert? Like that does like maybe content fan clubs, but they're all kind of offerings around social social media. Yeah, I think there's one. I mean, like backstage that's that's launching at some point. I think that mm -hmm. concept is like hardcore fans similar functionality to social media but like artists own the data kind of thing so yeah, it's interesting know. a lot of people have talked about i think yeah. this this type of role and you know whether it's artists wanting their own app is that the way you should manage your brand and communicate or not um freeform and other companies have are experimenting around all those types of ideas but uh i don't know if anybody's quite figured out that that thing right so much stuff is shifting right now so one or two more questions go ahead Just wait. <laughs> <laughs> I know, like, uh, Run the Jewels did a really good job about kind of bundling sorts of content, giving fans, like, you know, the chance to be, become super fans and, like, contribute yeah. a lot more to their album in general. When do you yeah. think, like, some a platform like Kickstarter is an appropriate place to bundle the sort of content you're talking about as, as a marketplace? Um, I haven't had, I haven't really launched a campaign with any one of our artists on, on Kickstarter. Um, I know we're working a lot with Pledge Music in terms of using it, like using it as a dynamic marketing platform. Um, in terms of raising money for art, I think we don't, uh, we don't really recommend that anymore, but using it as a platform to do dynamic marketing. So is it more about using those platforms to engage your fans as opposed to actually raise so. the money? Yes. So what do you see, uh, like what do you think is most compelling out of, or sets you know, somebody apart from the others in that set of services? I think that like Kickstarter, Indiegogo, Patreon, Pledge, mm -hmm. Bandcamp, Bandpage. I think what we're looking for is, is how can we tap into an existing audience and cross-market an artist that doesn't have an audience and, and can they can we tap into other audiences? That's usually our criteria and working with certain platforms. With Pledge Music, I feel that they have a pretty good track record with rock. So we kind of look at it as a cross-marketing platform for that. So it's the value of 
So is I think of Kickstarting Indiegogo places fans and consumers go just to find stuff versus mm -hmm. Pledge maybe as one before. who's more band-driven entry point. Mm -hmm. Is that true, or do you see as Pledge have a bigger audience as well? That uh, I think they're just different. We look at them from the different qualitative audiences uh -huh. that they are. Yeah. But they have similarly a valuable audience that they're going to market out to yeah. and, and promote. It's out who's to. used the platform before. I mean, it's the same thing. I think now people mm -hmm. who do campaigns on Indiegogo probably are able to. Or, or Kickstarter are able to play off each of them to see what type of, it's sort of just like iTunes, right? Where it's like, who's gonna give me the most promotion? Uh, am I gonna get a front page feature here or on Spotify or whatever? I think that marketplace sort of exists now uh, yeah. in the, I'm gonna create a physical product and market it to some fans, right? So. Mm -hmm. Okay, I think we're almost done. Are we done? Do we have one, anybody got one more? Let's call it a wrap then. All right. Thank you. Thanks guys, thanks everybody, panelists.